This is uh, the second piece of a, a small little series. This is the completion of something we began on this issue of completion. We talked a lot last week about what Jesus taught us in relation to finishing what we start. And we spoke about the value of completing things and the danger of getting into the habit of quitting and how that really can affect our lives. And then oftentimes we have a number of things open and they create a lot of stress in our lives. And so we spent a lot of time there. Jesus talked about counting the cost on the front end. This morning, I would like us to focus slightly differently on what it means to move forward through to a point of completion or to stay with our commitments even when doing so is very difficult, when it's hard to endure, and it's hard to stay with something that we feel very strongly that God is wanting us to stay with, and yet it's tough. One of the passages that we're going to look at in the first one here in your handout is from the book of James. James is a New Testament book that was written to believers who were part of the early church. And the early church was a, a you know, they were Jewish people um, who had embraced Jesus as their Messiah. And many of them had been persecuted for that. And James was writing to them. And in a way, his words to them become a word for all who would follow Jesus, and there's tremendous encouragement in them. I want us to look at this together in James 1, verse 2. He says this, My brothers, my brothers, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, troubles, difficulties, temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. One of the first things we notice there around that word, various trials, troubles, difficulties, tribulations. One of the things we see right off the bat here, and it's true, is that life is filled with the adversity. And as much as life is a gift, and as much as it is easy for us sometimes to just be grateful for just the joy of being alive and the sunlight on our skin and the things that we talk about, life and love and good things that we experience, that the reality is that that's part of life, but that's not all of life. On this side of eternity, as it is now, life is also filled, and the Bible is very clear about it, with challenging stuff. There's a lot of stuff that qualifies as adversity, and there are difficulties that we will inevitably have to face in the course of our lives. And so this becomes a great challenge for us. Some, some of us may have walked in We've got stuff that already we have been thinking about, we're dealing with. Maybe it has to do with our job. You know, maybe it has to do with things that are awaiting us at our job. There's tension at the job. We're feeling undermined at the job, overworked, taken for granted. I don't know. Maybe some of us are in between. We're in a shifting point in our lives. We're wondering if maybe some of our skill sets are obsolete. We're feeling a lot of pressure around that. Some of us may be dealing with health issues and, and we're, we're, you know, it's, it's depressing and it's hard and it's easy for someone to say yeah you know be joyful but it's difficult and maybe some of us have because of just the way life's been going we are hit with financial challenges and this is real life stuff you know whatever the reason for it maybe an overextension in the economy whatever it is or just a lack of funds a flow decisions the things of life uh, something comes in the mail and we've all known what that's like or at least most of us have um, a bill we forgot about, weren't expecting, and it hits us really hard. And, it's, and for some of us, it's a very difficult thing. Uh, there are hard times in life, but I think of all the things we just mentioned, maybe the most difficult areas to struggle around 
have to do with our relationships and people. People that, um, you know, it's amazing the complexity of life. No matter how hard we try, there'll usually will be some tension showing up somewhere. And we can be just smooth sailing along, and all of a sudden, a word said, something forgotten, something assumed, uh, something is said back, we return it, and all of a sudden, there's tension in the air, there's challenges going on. Uh, this happens a lot in a home where a husband and a wife can very easily let something very small begin to go unaddressed. It develops into a major issue. All of a sudden you've got a huge breach in the home, major wall of separation, breakdown in communication, a lot of challenges. This happens in friendships. When good people hurt one another, somebody took something for granted, somebody said something, somebody didn't say something when someone else said something and they should have said it and they didn't. And you didn't protect me, you didn't take care of me, you let me down, you hurt me. Um, these are real issues of life. They might seem small, but they affect us deeply. These trials of life, these challenges of life, sometimes it's just bearing the... because when we love people, we risk. We make ourselves vulnerable, which is why I get it. A lot of times, some of us who've been burned, we won't take chances like that. We'll play it safe, and yet we can never move forward in life unless we're willing to take risk and be vulnerable. And to love is to be vulnerable. When I had my children, with, when Cheryl and I had our four children, and we love each one of them in, in all the same ways and in different ways. We, we created opportunities not only for great love and joy and satisfaction, we also created unique opportunities or possibilities for deep pain and woundedness. And that's true of anything that we truly enter into that we care about, we can be hurt. Um, hopefully, we learn how to negotiate through the hurts of life. And part of what it means to follow Jesus is learning how to endure difficult times and not be consumed by them or defeated by them. In fact, what is the phrase that is used? And it's almost, to me, when I read it, it, it almost bothers me sometimes when I read this. But it's in the Bible, and I believe it. Um, my brothers, count it all joy when you experience difficult, difficult things in life, various trials, tough times. You know, I... Ah, it doesn't make sense to me. How can I be joyful with this bad things happening? You know, how can, I, how can that be an occasion for joy? I mean, I, what I wanted to say is, my brothers, go ahead and feel sorry for yourself when <laughs> things really go bad. And I go, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> you know, and the Bible is filled with examples of people. I think of Elijah of the Old Testament, Older Testament, sitting in his cave after being used by God, thinking this is how things are going to go, and it doesn't go the way he wanted, and he's sitting in his cave, totally isolated, afraid, he's been chased, he's, he's mad at God, he's mad at people, he's depressed, he's discouraged. I, I, I get that. Um, I, I think of Jonah sitting under his unpredictable plant as he's mad at God because God isn't doing what he, he isn't judging the people that he thinks should be judged for what they've done. Instead, he's, he's not, basically, you're not taking care of me feeling bad for himself. There's all kinds of examples in the scriptures. One, it's easy to, to forget, though, this truth, that difficulties in life, especially, and now I'm talking out of the context of, a, of, a, of one who has made a decision to follow Jesus, is that when these things happen in life, they are actually, and this is true, I, I would suppose, for everyone, but especially true for a follower of the Lord, that they are actually opportunities in disguise. And that's what he's getting at. 
He's saying the reason this bad thing, tough thing, difficult thing, unfair thing, in their case, they were being really persecuted and hurt. And they were scattered. And he says this tough part of your life actually is an opportunity for you that you can, if you see it, it's, an, it's a joyful opportunity. Why? Because if you can see that God wants to produce something deep in you, of an occasion, this occasion for joy is because there's an opportunity for growth here that could happen in no other way in your life. And, in a, in a, and it will enhance the ability for you to draw off of the love of God in ways you've never been able to do. Therefore, even though it's bad, in reality, there is something in here of the joy of, uh, that God is making available to us. And he says, but the key here is that this growth that is the occasion for the joy is connected to a willingness on our part to make a determination that we will not quit and that we will be patient through the process. And many things in life will try us and challenge us. It will challenge us attitudinally. And frequently, two areas of life that are greatly underestimated in terms of their impact on us are our attitudes and our words. And when we are in a bad place, in my opinion, before the Lord, I believe, and I've tried to remind myself of this, not always followed through as well as I wished I would have, that in the places where it is very hard and it is easy to become discouraged and weary, to be extra careful about the words that come from my mouth and the attitude that I take into something. Because oftentimes that begins to lay a groundwork for either a further defeat, an entrenchment of that defeat, or a pathway to victory. And I, and I want to use those terms. Breakthrough, maybe. Gradual opening up. A gradual release from this season that we may find ourselves in where it is very hard not to want to quit and ditch everything. In fact, James says, why don't you do this? Let patience really be made complete in your life. Let patience have her perfect work. He personifies patience. And he says that you may be complete, perfect, lacking nothing, which is the Bible's way of saying, learn to endure this with patience so that God may grow us into a point of maturity in our life with him. So there might come a deepening of our experience with God. There might come a growth and an increased understanding of how to move through tough things without falling apart or taking it out on other people. And this is actually an art form and something that we can grow into. The, the life, this life of following Jesus is meant to be a growing life always until the day we die. And then it's just another level of growth. It's never meant to just play out the string. It's meant to challenge things in us. Now, I, look, I put this, uh, this little uh, quote on the side. Let me just point out, though, that this, I, this word patience actually means the capacity to bear weight and to hold something, hold, hold on to something. It talks about being able to be under pressure. Literally, it has to do with the Greek word hupomone, which means under and able to be able to say under and to abide, to abide under something, to carry this weight and not fall apart. So it's the idea of, of moving forward and even when, our, when it's really hard and everything in us wants to trash our commitments or quit, which we talked about how there are some things in life, yes, that, that we, we can quit. But there's a lot of things where quitting is an excuse of not facing it. And God wants to teach us how to prevail through difficult places in life and, 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 and grow gracefully in it. And that's going to, it's not always going to happen easily. I don't think about the seed growing through the ground when I see the little plant coming out. There's a, actually, 
There's, it's, it's a battle getting out of the ground. But things begin to grow in us. This is what God wants to do. In this uh, column here, there's a quote from a man named Robert Roberts in his book, The Strength of the Christian. He talks about the virtue of patience, and he says this, Patience is a long-term virtue by which a person is capable and actually becomes more and more capable of keeping commitments, which some of us actually have a very difficult time doing. Others do quite well. Some of us are in between. But he says this, The ability to remain true over a rather long haul to an ideal, a commitment, a mission, a person, or a job, when, when such remaining true is actually very difficult because of besetting temptations, adversities, discouragements, or other changes of mood, talking about our feelings, speaking of mood changes and commitments, a lot of us have a tendency to make our commitments emotionally. And so, as a result... Um, we have a hard time following through. And let me just say, I need to qualify this because I'm not suggesting that emotion, emotions are bad at all. In fact, I think that a passionless commitment will not really be much of a commitment at all at the end of the day. At the same time, when our commitment is predominantly based on emotions, it is uh, notoriously unreliable because uh, it, it, for the long haul because emotions are fickle things and they're frequently affected by the circumstances of our life. So if I'm feeling good about it, I'll do it. But if I'm not feeling good, what about that? You know, Jesus was actually, in one of his parables, he got into this idea of making commitments that, that actually are going to have a hard time making it. And he had this story he taught. It's, we call it the parable of the sower. And he, you can imagine Jesus by the Sea of Galilee, maybe sitting in the boat, uh, that, the, little, the boat by the sea, but it's probably on, grounded on the sand. And he's perhaps pointing to something way over there, over the, on the hillside, or perhaps past it, or a place that they had passed, where there were fields in which they were commonly, we, say, we don't really say sower, but really a sower was a farmer. And a farmer would plant seed in the ground. And there would be patches, uh, fields, where that ground was prepared to receive seed for a growth, a new growth, a harvest. And frequently there were thin strips. And Jesus was, a lot of times, there were two main ways in which a, a farmer would spread the seed for the, that would be planted. Some one, t one common way, the, the less strenuous way, the more lazy way, uh, some have said, was to take, a, take the seed and put it like a saddle over a donkey and then cut a couple of small holes in it and then just sort of lead that donkey around and let the, the seed fall out from the bottom of it. But there were other, the other way, which was slightly more effective, but it actually took a little more effort, was to take that seed and put it around you. And the farmer would take, the sower would take the seed and he would take it in his hands. And particularly if there was a breeze or a wind, which would often be the case, the Sea of Galilee and that region. And he could then throw it up and the wind would take it and scatter it about as he tossed it or threw it. The sower, Jesus says, went out to sow. The image caught them immediately. Jesus said some of the seed as this farmer is walking fell on ground that was very, actually he says it fell on the wayside. The wayside was the spot, almost like this aisle right here in the middle. Think of this as one patch of ground, this is another patch of ground, and there was a place where people would walk, and they would walk on the wayside. And Jesus said, you know, that seed that fell 
as the farmer's walking by and falls on the wayside, it's actually that wayside was a, like a path, a footpath. And it over time, it became so hard because people would walk on it to avoid walking on the crops that it became like rock. And as a result, when seed would be tossed on it, it would, be, it would have no ability to grow whatsoever. In fact, he says birds from the air would come and, and just take the seed. He says some of that seed fell on the wayside and it had no chance of making it at whatsoever. It wasn't going anywhere. And really, the parable itself, Jesus is talking about the way people hear God's words and allow them to touch their heart. The soil is the heart of a human being. And the seed is the word of God that's being offered up. And Jesus said, but there was other seed, and this is more our focus, is there was other seed that when it was scattered, it would fall. And then the ground looked pretty much the same as the rest of the ground. But in, in actuality, that ground that he said, there was, it was actually rocky ground. But on the surface, it was covered with a thin veneer of, of topsoil so that it had the appearance of depth. Something should grow. It, why not? It looks no different than the rest. But actually underneath it, after you got past the very thin veneer, was rock. And rock made it impossible for those roots to really take and as a result there was no moisture no nutrients and when the sun would hit jesus said that seed although it germinated in the warmth of that topsoil could not sustain itself and would ultimately wither away because it didn't have enough depth to it it was surface and then jesus said and there's other seed he says some of that seed that the farmer's throwing out it falls over here on that ground over there he says that ground over there it looks perfect it looks fine it looks no different than this ground over here he says but that ground actually when it was being plowed, it had weeds that were not truly totally removed. Thorns are in that, even though on the surface it looks fine. Underneath, as things grow, that thorns and those weeds will grow. And they will choke out, he says, the seed that was in that ground. It would otherwise have grown into. He says, and, then, and then he says, and of course, there's a lot of this seed. When it's thrown about, it will fall on what he called, what, good ground. And he says, and that good ground, oh, when it, when it finds its spot, it will produce a flow of life. And that's what seed is. It is life. And it will produce life when it's received properly. And some of the impact of that growth will be 30, he says. Some of it will be 60. Some of it will be 100. He's talking about dimensions of positive movement that will come out of the flow of life when, it's pro when the Word of God is properly received in our hearts and in the heart of a human being. But what I was focused on, and the disciples afterwards, you can check it out for yourself in Matthew 13 later, more in depth. All I'm going to address is just the one piece, the second, second thing, the second kind of soil that Jesus referred to. The one that he said when the farmer or the sower sowed it and threw it out, it fell on the ground that was covering the, the rock. The rock, That ground, because afterwards the disciples come up and they ask Jesus, they say, Jesus, we know you gave us this story. We, we, we know it means something. We think it means something. But would you do us a favor and explain it a little bit more in depth, what it symbolically represents, because it, it would really help us. And Jesus says, absolutely, I'll do that for you. Let me tell you. And he begins to explain it. And the second thing he explains to them is what I put in your hand out there in verse 20 and 21. He says, look, look at it this way. He says, the person who received the seed, look with me here, on stony places, he says, this is like the person who hears the word and immediately the initial reaction is, yes, I'll do it with joy. There's an enthusiasm, an excitement, um, a, uh, an openness initially. But he says this, but there's a problem. There's a problem. And the problem is this. He says, but it has no real capacity for rooting. It's a surface. 
emotionally driven. And again, I'm not dissing emotions. I'm emotional. Jesus was emotional. He wept. He did. He cried. He, he cared deeply. He prayed with passion. Um, I'm not saying that I'm more like Jesus. I didn't mean it that way necessarily, except that I don't think we need to be afraid of our emotions. And I think that it's okay. And he models for us to be a person who can be emotional. We gotta, there is no virtue, and now I'm getting way off course, there is no virtue (laughs) in being a stoic and rigid and cold-hearted and purely intellectual when it comes to following Jesus because that's not how he was. And we will hurt people if we conduct our Christian life that way, if it is purely rule-based and cold it will produce no life. It is dead ground. And it will do harm. There has to be, and I'm not talking about we all have different personalities, we all have different dispositions. Some of us have, and that, that's not the issue, but the issue is in the way in which we represent the heart of the Lord, can we be a person who has warmth in our hearts and kindness on our tongue? Not all the time will we get it right, but there needs to be, before all the, all the rules are done, like our, like our leader and teacher, the one they called their mat, that you are our mat, you are the one we follow, Lord. He models for us how to love people and how to honor God. And the way he did it was he was very, and again, he's the Lord, but there is a softness and a warmth as well as, well as an intensity to Jesus. And, there, and if the Lord is growing us, there will be that as well in us. And that's what we need to have in whatever expression it takes in our own hearts. Now, Back to the stony ground. In the stony ground, Jesus says, some people, he says, when we receive the word, he says, there's no root. It, it, and as a result, because there's no ability for that, no depth, it's just an emotional thing. He says, it, it can only endure for a little while. It, we can't stay with it. Why? Because when, tri- notice, what does he say? When tribulation or persecution, when stuff starts coming at us, when what we are believing gets challenged, when our life with God gets challenged, when that word is challenged, it cannot sustain because it lacks depth to get the proper nutrients to make it through. So let me, in the few minutes that we have left, talk about briefly some ideas for how to move forward when, the, when we are under the heat of the day and it is hard to sustain our commitments And in those places where we know we should, but it is getting very difficult, how do we do it? What are some ways we can do it? Just briefly, some ideas. Lay them out, take them, and consider them. The first one is something that I call a shifting of perspective between the micro and the macro. And I'll try to explain what I mean by that. It's something that I've attempted to apply in my life as a follower of Jesus for now a number of years. Don't always get it right, but I've I've found that there's wisdom in it. Frequently in life, we will find ourselves in situations where it is very hard. And part of what we're facing is is closing in on us. And in fact, it's starting to define us. We can't get out of it. We're stuck in it. The offense, the situation, it's beginning to dominate our life. We're stuck in it. Our vision, which should be expansive, is becoming myopic, short-sighted, confined, 
we're locked in. It dominates our way of thinking. It affects everything that we do, our approach to life. We, don't, we can't see. It's like you're, we're stuck in the jungle or in the forest. We can't, it, you, when you, your vision is affected, you can't see for, too for much further. And you can get suffocated in that place. And it feels like things are closing in. You're consumed by things. Something's disturbing you. There's an anger issue. There's something going on that is making us afraid of our future. We're not sure. We're, we're, just, it's, we're stuck in this small place, and it's getting smaller. And in those times, it's beneficial to get up and shift our perspective from the micro into a larger perspective. It has to do with changing the vantage point or, or the way that we're thinking about things. Because in that, and if you look in the Bible, the Psalms are perfect examples of that. David frequently would be in the middle of a difficult place and he would, he would say things like this, Lord, because and, and there were times where he was, for example, he was being chased like a wild animal. He's in the wilderness running for his life. He feels like people, and, there were, and it was true, there are people who have betrayed him. There were many reasons to be uh, upset, to feel forsaken. Uh, didn't God make him a promise? This is what that promise looks like. There was a lot of things that could have disturbed him greatly and taken his heart and broke it in a, in a way that was bad. But instead, he, he would oftentimes, in the middle of the, the pressure he was under, he would say things like this, Lord, I, I lift up my eyes to you. Lord, I look unto the mountains from whence come my help. My help comes from you. There's this sense of getting a different viewpoint. Lord, at the end of my days, you are the Lord of all. You are the Lord of all creation. You are the God who passes through. He would take his eyes off of his offenses, off of his afflictions, off of his troubles, and he would, he would get a bigger picture. He would climb up and see a different... It's like, I can't see where we're going because I'm stuck in this mess, so I'm going to get a little higher and change my point of view. And a lot of times when, when I'm in the wilderness and we're backpacking somewhere, I can't, it all looks the same. But when you can get a little bit higher, you can get a sense of actually where you're going. The vantage point changes. That's the idea of getting, getting out of that, that confinement and getting into a macro. Now, the opposite is also true. There are times where the idea of sticking with this commitment for the long haul is so intimidating and it just it's like somebody punches us right in the in the stomach and we've got no it just takes the I mean the idea how can I can barely survive and I'm supposed to do this indefinitely and it it can become very difficult when we think big and in those moments where the future of our commitments seem so overwhelming and so difficult to negotiate that we almost just want to say, I quit now. Why am I even going to bother with this? That in those moments, it's helpful to shift from the big back to the little. You know what? AA does this quite well. They understand that when we're challenged with addictions and challenged with dependency issues, that what happens is the idea of, oh, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. You know what? One day at a time. One day at a time. I'll shrink it down to a manageable thing. And if I can, I'll go down to the hour if I have to. I can do that. And that's a biblical principle, by the way. It's based, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. There's enough stuff to get worried about today. <laughs> so if you're going to, he, he's, he's trying to remind us, don't borrow from tomorrow's trouble. Sufficient today is the evil thereof. That's the older version. In other words, why go there? Why go there? We have enough issues to deal with 
to start imagining my problems and empowering them. And I understand prudence. I get that. I understand, well, well, we have to think it through. I understand that. But there is a point, listen, there is a point where, honestly, the best thing we can do is pull back and say, Lord, just help me to have grace for today. I'm not going to think too far ahead. I, I know there are times when I'm supposed to do that, but right now, for this season, I'm just going to focus on trying to stay close to you today and keep in a good place. And that, second, and that really is the second piece to this. I can't spend too much time on this next one, but it has to do with learning how to encourage ourselves in the Lord. You'll notice that in the handout, there's a passage from the book of Hebrews, the, 12, the, the, the 11th chapter there. Actually, it's the 12th chapter, verses 1 through 3. And in that handout, you know, there, we're given this example to uh, draw off of those who have gone before us, this cloud of witnesses, these people um, who learned to live for God. And, and that's referring to the 11th chapter of Hebrews, that, that hall of faith of all those Old Testament figures whose lives we are invited to investigate, which is, by the way, we should read not just the New Testament, but also learn to read the other part of God's Word, the Older Testament. There is such rich value in engaging the stories, knowing that it's a different, different cultural context, not trying to impose our understanding of history and culture onto that, but appreciating it for what it is as God's word for us, learning from the examples of people who followed God before through very difficult times and letting that enhance our own capacity to trust God with the difficult and challenging aspects of our life that it becomes, and then he says, not only should you draw back on those examples in the scriptures, he, the writer also says, and don't ever forget Jesus, our greatest example, who endured things who carried the weight, remember, patience, carrying weight. I always think of Jesus carrying his cross for us. He is our example of how to negotiate through, of one who endured for our blessing, who, who we should let inspire us as well. Last thing I'll say about it is this. The other piece to it, besides learning how to draw strength from the Lord and from the examples of others and from shifting these, this micro and macro perspectives, is to then also be sincere and committed in the development of our relationships with others, particularly friends and the community that we are involved in here, where there's the opportunity to engage other people relationally who will challenge us to be better versions of ourselves in the Lord. And I am differentiating. We have many different types of friends in our lives, and different friends fill different aspects of our lives, and friendships are beautiful gifts from God. I'm going to say that one of the things, at least at this point for a follower of Jesus, one of the great blessings in life is to have someone who is a friend or two or three who we can say we can share a love for Jesus together and we can challenge one another to honor the Lord and we can listen well and talk frankly and not be afraid of truth-telling. And in fact, in the weeks ahead, we are going to explore what the Bible wants to, I think, has a lot to say about what real friendship looks like from, from the standpoint of those who would seek to expand themselves with the Lord, or spiritually speaking, and what the value. The Bible says that confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It's suggesting that there are some, some strengths that come from God, something, some healing that comes from God, some power that comes from God that will be mediated to us through other people who are in relationship with us. Who when, and I can tell you, that's been true for me. There have been times where it's been hard to move forward on a certain area, and I have wanted to quit, and what I needed was a friend to say or a brother to say to me, 
you know what? I hear you, but you need to stay with it. Don't give up. Trust the Lord. I know all these things, but it's good to hear them when we're in that place. And we'll never have that if we don't spend the time doing the hard work of relationship, getting ourselves connected with others who are running this race, letting, taking the chance of risking vulnerability, which is the only way to build relationship. Intimacy at its core is into me see. Here's who I am. Here are my struggles. And when we get that level of friendship, oh, which is, by the way, what the Lord intended at the core a husband and wife to be as well, friends who can be honest. And it's true in our friendships and our relationships, period. Okay, Lord, I thank you for the time that we've been able to have here to just consider and reflect and to interact. We now, Lord, have uh, laid the groundwork for where we're heading in the weeks ahead. But really, more than that, this is something that I think you want to say to a lot of us about not quitting on things and not allowing the difficult things of our lives, which inevitably we will face at times. And, in, and that's just part of how it works. Not allowing those things to define us, but learning how to live for you even in the challenging place and how to draw from your grace, Lord, even when that hurt is very real, to still learn how to find you in that place, to find this mysterious but very real gift of joy in the broken place. Um, we pray, Lord, that you would encourage us, inspire us, challenge us. In fact, as we close the service out, I ask that you would just give us, a, through this song, a closing sense of vigor as we seek to stand and face things and not run away and quit, but to be strong in you, Lord. I pray for your blessing in the weeks ahead. I pray that you'd bless our time of giving as we begin to transition our service time now. Bless those who are committed in, the, in our tithes and our offerings. May we honor you in these things as well. We pray for your blessing over these closing minutes, this closing song. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.